Chicago. It's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups not suck at how they pitch themselves. How? By making sure their audience sees them not as the best, but as the only. And this podcast is the only show where you will hear from leaders in the startup ecosystem sharing a piece of their heart, their mind, and their story on how they are charting their own path, growing their companies, and choosing not to play the game, but to change the game. Before we get going, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, head over to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to our Point of View letter, where we share original articles, insights, and resources all to help you become the only of your industry. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped. It's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois. She is the founder of Forward Collective. Please welcome Michael Donnelly. <laughs> hey, everyone. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. Is you actually at, literally as I'm just coming off of on Saturday doing an actual uh, ring announcing <laughs> event. So, so you, you, you're getting me in the most like hyped up mode of that. Cause I literally was just doing that for eight hours on uh Saturday night. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it was uh absolutely incredible as I would have anticipated whether you were coming off the ring or just coming out of the gate. <laughs> All right. So like I mentioned, she is Michael Donnelly founder of forward collective. Well, what is Forward Collective? They are a social impact organization with a mission to drive professional inclusion. And they do that across impact with things like audits, audits, diagnostics and assessments, insights and recommendations, and strategic planning and consulting. They also have Forward for You, which is custom programming and actionable solutions for corporate partners, plus the Forward Collective, which is a community-facing professional development program and content featuring underrepresented individuals for the experts that we are rather than the boxes that we check. I have had the honor of being a past performer and speaker at Forward uh, at the Forward Conference. Um, it's an incredible community, incredible event series, and now an incredible consulting organization as well. What we're going to talk about with Michael today is something that she's got a lot of experience in, both in developing Forward, as well as in... Um, in what she's been able to do for her clients. And that is driving revenue and awareness through sponsorships. So Michael, once again, welcome. Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? So excited to be here. Thanks, Raj. Um, why sponsorships are on my mind and why they're important to me is it's an untapped revenue potential that a lot of people don't fully understand. When we think of sponsorships, a lot of times our mind goes to big corporate and seeing Pepsi logos at the NFL or, you know, Coca-Cola or, you know, massive conferences. And we don't necessarily understand the application to the day-to-day -day of our small and medium-sized businesses and how we can really make that a proper revenue stream. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation because, you know, and just us doing some background talk on this, how accessible it can actually be for, for companies that are on the rise um, and how I think there's a lot more value that a company brings than they may realize. But before we get into all that, let's learn a little bit more about Michael herself. Now, Michael, 
born and raised south side of Chicago. Tell me with that, with, with, I'm sure people in your family add a little like S on the ends of certain words, right? <laughs> Damn there, though. Say, how you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> little of that going on in your family and in your background and everything like that. Tell me, talk, wh- what do you feel your perspective is on people given where you come from? Um, I think I've had the honor and privilege of being from a, a what we call a tribe of people. My mom's one of 11. My dad's one of five. So I've been surrounded by a massive family and a pretty diverse group of people in my family and my upbringing in my school. So what my perspective on people is, is really guided by curiosity and kindness and leading through curiosity and how we can invite each other to explore alternative or additional perspectives. I think I say all that to say a lot of times, Southside Chicago, Chicago, et cetera, we become very pigeonholed in different areas. So when it comes to people at large, I just love the idea of how can we be more curious about each other? And because of the variety of people I've been surrounded with, that's something that's been instilled in me since I was really young. That's interesting that you mentioned that because also, before we hit record, what we were just talking about was this idea of there's a new letter in the DEI acronym that I was not aware of. Mm-hmm. But it's DEIB, the B standing for belonging. Can you talk to us about what that means in the both on its own in the larger DEI conversation, as well as your relationship to that part of the yeah. uh, conversation? Absolutely. We actually at Forward, um, Forward Collective for Women in Diversity, just put out an infographic in the past two years about DEIB. So for those who are not familiar with the acronym, DEI is the the kind of nomer for diversity, equity, inclusion. That's something that's been what we've hung our hat on in the the community and in this, this field of how are we becoming a more diverse and inclusive workspace for people. And belonging is the new letter on that. And when it comes to diversity, first and foremost, how are we making sure that Um, let me actually just have the infographic up. So let me read about it to you a little bit here. So diversity and inclusion has this um, analogy written by this woman named Verna Myers. It's absolutely incredible. It was diversity is, is being asked to the dance. Inclusion is while you're at the dance being asked or being invited to the dance. Then inclusion is being asked to dance while you're there. So we've unpacked it to that same analogy where equality is inviting everyone to the party. Diversity is that among everyone invited, there are representations of difference. Equity, is ensuring that everyone has adequate transportation or access to the party. And then inclusion is being part of planning it. So you're not just invited, but you're actually included in planning and your mind is involved in that piece. And then belonging is feeling comfortable to suggest decorations or request songs or really belonging into that crowd. So you're represented as part of that crowd, not just someone who is who is invited to be there. And I think that really aligns with what you said earlier is like that that checkbox of what happens a lot with diversity or that tokenism of being the one or the only. How do we make sure that we're not just checking boxes and, and making sure the room looks great for that stock photo, but we're including people in the decisions that are being made. And we're making sure that once we've included them, that we, they, we all feel like we belong there and are being actively heard. So I think that's a, a long way to, to answer that question, but trying to break out some of the individual pieces of it, because it's not just a step, it's an entire journey and all of the pieces kind of interact with one another. Yeah. It's interesting because you can't 
I mean, how do you have belonging if there's not first inclusion, right? Who, who, mm-hmm. who is there to be belonged or to feel, to feel <laughs> belonging in the first place? Um, a lot of this work can get very heavy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I touch, I don't, I don't immerse myself in it, but I do sometimes do um, a little bit of work in the diversity space. Uh, but I do know from firsthand experience, even just in not doing it every single day, that the work can get and feel very heavy. Now, you've had the... I don't know if it's the honor or the the disadvantage of having played on my softball team before <laughs> and seen all the the wildness that goes on and, and the yelling at each other as teammates. And you've been able to see me, you know, do nothing but uh, hit pop flies to third base. Um, <laughs> what do you, you know, given, given that the work that you do can be heavy sometimes, how do you like to relax? What do you do for fun? I am really into being outside. Um, so whether that's going on a walk, so softball made ride, sense. Then. So softball made sense. It was a good, <laughs> good option. Drinking was fine to that partying being in community <laughs> was great. So that's why I love softball. Um, I love to paddleboard. Um, I have a stand up paddleboard. My dog Lux comes with me. He's basically my hood ornament and hangs out on the uh, front of the board at all times. Um, it's also then creating a community of people, whether that's good friends or acquaintances that I can unplug with. And um, finding ways to really express myself and like work through my own thoughts through journaling, through writing, and through finding a creative outlets. So it's being outside, finding a, a core group of people that I can connect with and create community with. And then how do I find ways to express myself and be creative? I do some painting, I make jewelry. Like I, I, it takes me a long time to also actually have proper habits that don't have to make money as an entrepreneur. Like for a while, I was like, oh, I'm making jewelry. got to start slinging it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I could just make this for me. <laughs> so um, a big part of my growing over the past few years has been actually creating habits and outlets to unplug rather than thinking like everything that I do had to become its own side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Making jewelry, got to start slinging it. No, I totally... I can totally relate to and uh, empathize with that. I think it's like the the curse of the entrepreneur is all of a it's sudden a hustle. before you it's know all, it's like wait a second. A <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so you talked about this kind of desire for community and creation overall. Can you let us know how you know perhaps with that as the backdrop, how did Forward get started in the first place? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Forward got started because I was running a consulting agency that you're familiar with, Red Suede Shoes. I still run it. We're kind of merging Red Suede Shoes and Forward together. Red Suede Shoes started as an event planning company. We were fast and furious born right after uh, my tenure at Tech Week, which was one of the first and largest technology technology and innovation festivals in the Midwest. We grew it from one to five cities in the two years that I was there, from 2,000 attendees to 14,000 attendees in Chicago, which was our home base. And that's where I really cut my teeth on the tech scene, entrepreneur scene, and sponsorship overall. My role was a working on the sponsorship sales and account management side, account executive, I don't know, I had some fancy title, and then also the production and planning of some of the event. When I left there, I started Red Suede Shoes, but I was... I started the company knowing I always wanted to have an event planning company and event planning service because I was just super into gathering and like experiences and bringing people together. We now are an experienced design studio. We have a slew of other services, but that kind of holding on to that space, I wanted to figure out how I could attract more clients to do the type of work I wanted to do. And after planning a few pretty large scale events in the Chicagoland area, 
I'm working with clients. I continue to notice the same thing that we got in trouble for at Tech Week at one point, and a lot of technology conferences and tech companies do, is we had a lot of all white male keynote lineups. And it was like, wait, how are all of, and keynote lineup is the, the series of speakers that are your kind of headliners. And it still happens today, which is crazy. And in 2018, it happened at the, you know, one of the biggest technology shows. So for me, it was, okay, I want to work more large-scale events. I want more clients to see me doing this and understand that I can. And I want to change the narrative around the fact that the reaction to the conversation and why there are all white male keynote lineups was, oh, it's just really hard to find you know, qualified diverse candidates or diverse speakers. So forward was that solution. It was, there are people, they're not that hard to find. And how do I kind of double, double edge create my own portfolio company that showcases the work I want to continue to do for clients. So Ford was a, a twofold. How do we solve a problem I'm seeing in the marketplace that I want to solve in creating that showcasing experts for the experts that we are rather than the boxes that we check? And how do we then showcase as a consulting company and an event planning company what we can do? So Ford was born to kind of answer those two sides of the solutions. And we specifically focused as Venture Forward for our first conference because I was working on a conference in the venture space and the venture space was so lacking representation. I've totally forgot you worked at Tech Week and that's how we met in the first place. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, oh yeah, Bordeaux is our common, is our common uh, factor, <laughs> which he, he is for so many people that I know. Bordeaux, for everyone that's listening, I don't mean the wine, I mean a person named Chris Bordeaux, <laughs> uh, who will probably be a guest on this show at some point in the future. So I'm surprised he hasn't yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, as I think about I it, I'm him. very surprised. <laughs> so um, that's that was the inception of Forward you mentioned though, while at Tech Week, that was where you first cut your teeth in selling sponsorships and event planning. So let's transition now into our primary topic today, which is driving revenue and awareness through sponsorships. Now, I mentioned it earlier on, but usually when we think of sponsorships, we think about conference sponsorships or perhaps podcast sponsorships. Are there other channels or properties that sponsorships may fall under that the average person maybe isn't thinking of? Sponsored content, um, collaborative sponsored content. Um, I mean, I think it goes without saying, but you said conferences, events. Uh, you can do anything from a curated dinner series to your happy hours that you're throwing for your customers. There's an opportunity to partner with other companies that have not competitive services, but similar audience profiles that they're targeting. So it's how do you think about your main asset as a company, which is your your audience, which is who you're working with. And then how do you understand who else is targeting that audience? So any type of company or organization can create sponsorship opportunities based on that asset. So who do you have the market captive or captivated for? Alternatively, if it's not the asset of the people, and that are kind of engaged in your organization. It's the content that you're creating or the asset of what your business creates that is important. You'll see companies that, um, you know, have their blog sponsored, have their, you know, other content that they're putting out there, just like a one-off sponsor around the job board or something you're creating in these different areas. Um, if, if, it makes sense. I can give a large scale example of a company that wouldn't necessarily be something that you would immediately be like, oh yeah, of course they would have sponsors. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit in the prep time, but it was like for a SaaS company, 
you're not necessarily creating an audience right away. Like you're not creating content, you're creating content to serve your customers, but you're not necessarily out there saying like, Hey, this is what we do. When you look at companies like a Salesforce, Salesforce has now a massive conference that they do every year that is sponsored by their partner companies that then that sell into the Salesforce audience. Um, Actually, in a couple of weeks in Las Vegas, there's Cisco Live, which is Cisco's conference, but the likes of IBM and Intel and all Cisco other Live, but companies. not like, you know, Cisco Enter the Dragon. Cisco. Not, yeah, not, not <laughs> Cisco that way. Cisco's CISCO, as in the technology company, has this massive conference where other companies come and set up booths because they integrate with Cisco and they work with the collective audience of how do we sell to our same, same end user because there's always ways to kind of upsell and work in that that way. So I think that's that's probably less for this audience because that's higher scale, but the concept still works. And how do you cross collaborate with whatever your asset is and what you're creating value at the end of the day? So how you bring that kind of thoughtful circle. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because literally later this week, I am attending a dinner that is being co-hosted by Chili Piper, which is a SaaS calendaring solution mm-hmm. and Vidyard, which is a uh, video uh, video sales tool. Mm-hmm. Same audience, non-conflicting products, mm-hmm. and they're collaborating on an event where it's a bunch of sales leaders getting together. So that they that way, ultimately, it's as a, as a co-branded venture, they're actually able to share the costs of um, putting on the dinner. I'm sure, but then also both extract value out of it at the end of the day. Absolutely. And the way that relationship could work in a sponsorship capacity is if one party planned it and say, Chili Piper, I think is what you said, said, hey, we have this event, we're planning it. Here's our very targeted guest list. Would you like to sponsor rather than, hey, would you like to co-host this with us? Would you like to you know, put your name on it? You give us X amount of money. We're then covering the cost of the event and the production of the event. You just get to show up and say a five-minute spiel after we do this. So there's the multiple ways that these type of events or this type of content can provide value. And I think you've talked about it with a friend of mine on the podcast before, but I have this theory. It's actually what my sponsorship course that I've created is called Scrappy to Savvy. And when it comes to events and sponsorship, you have to be scrappy before it's time to be savvy. You can always go back and forth. You don't have to be one versus the other. But the difference is there's times to like roll up your sleeves and be scrappy and get stuff done. And there's times to then spend money and engage in different ways. So the scrappy in this example would be we're collaborating. We're going to then try and get a sponsored venue so we don't have costs on food or drink because we're bringing this curated audience. We're then having someone else split whatever other costs we have. And we're trying to keep costs as low as possible and bring as many eyeballs. The savvy version is you pay an event planner, you pay a venue, you buy the food and drink, you get this very bespoke guest list. And then you can also sell sponsorship on top of that, or still do the collaborative side of things. And it's, it's my philosophy on life and in business that there's times that you need to kind of practice both. And in sponsorship, when you're first getting started, I think a lot of people get scared that they have to have this finalized sponsorship deck and all of these fancy kind of bells and whistles. And here's how many tickets are included. And here's the amount of social media and here's our following. And here's this, here's this, here's this. That is important down the line, especially if you're asking for, you know, $10,000, $15,000, but the value that you're providing when you're being scrappy is what your fellow small companies are looking for. It's a, an alternative form of advertising to a direct and curated audience. And how do you, that's where you find that matching point right there. An alternative form of advertising to a direct and curated audience. 
let's unpack that a little bit more because Mm -hmm. someone listening to this right now, maybe they're earlier on and they're like, well, I don't have a massive audience yet. So can you talk about like, what are the different levers of value that a company may have if they're trying to seek out sponsorships? Like when, when does audience size matter versus audience versus quality of the audience mm-hmm. matter? If it's not direct audience, are there other, are there other points of value that they may have to offer? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, if we apply it to social media, we have our macro influencers and our micro influencers, right? So, well, you know, a person with a million followers plus has a huge following and a huge, um, amount of access what is the conversion rate on a macro influencer? It, it depends on the product. It depends on how curated their audience is. It depends on how much the followers actually follow this person for advice or recommendations versus a micro influencer more likely has a specific audience and has people that are bought into listening to you for a specific reason. That's how it applies in audience capacity. So something like the dinner that you're going to, I'm sure it's not 500 people. I'm sure it's close. I think, to like I think it's like 40, 10, 50 15. people. Okay. So 40, 50, I've seen them at like 10, 15, 10, 15 people. So with that, it's, these are select people that we think are going to be actual buyers. So it's that qualifying of the lead itself. So that's when it comes to the people. Alternatively, you mentioned if they don't have an audience, well, then whatever your asset that is the most valuable. So if if it's your software platform, what is it about your software platform that someone would want access to or, or something that you have offering that you get value for, but you can now trade on that value? Um, or if it's content. So say you don't have a big audience, but you have content that you know is going to be really interesting. Someone like me with Forward, we have you know 5,000 people as part of our audience. Okay. But I'm not regularly creating content every single day because we're a very small team. So now I may come at someone and say, hey, I see that you're creating these videos. Would I be able to sponsor those videos so my community can get access to it? So it's kind of like a licensing. It's a little bit of a spin on your traditional sponsorship because I'm not accessing you to get more eyeballs. I'm accessing you to get your asset, which is this great content. And then vice versa, if I was the person that was creating great content, but didn't have eyeballs, they could come to me and say, Hey, can I sponsor? Can I, you know, place one of my videos into your membership community? And how much would it cost to do that post or to get that out on your email list or to do that? So there's, there's ways depending on who reaches out to who, or how do we create a mutual beneficial agreement. So it's those layers of don't get too far into the weeds of how many directions it can go, but find people that have what you're looking for or vice versa that need what you have, and then strike up a conversation around, hey, would this be of interest to you? Um, How could we then create a collaboration or, hey, I have this, it's available for sponsorship. Are you interested or for licensing at this price? And those can kind of be sponsorship and licensing a little bit interchangeable. There's a contract, there's a goal, there's a mutually beneficial opportunity there. Um, I'm sure you probably have a follow-up question, but I know immediately if I was listening to this or earlier on in my career, my my thought would be like, great, thanks for that advice. How do I figure out pricing this? Because I'm terrified and I don't understand. So the monetization of how to do this is really 
the wild, wild west. So I'm not going to act like I have a prescription for it. Um, there is a really Speaking of resource. Cisco and Drew Hill, the wild, <laughs> yeah, wild west. The wild, wild west. <laughs> yippee yay. yippee <laughs> um, There is a woman I follow on social media on Instagram. Her name is Glow. Her, I think her handle is Glow Graphics. Glow don't uh, Antimano, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Really incredible. She is a growing influencer. I think she's over like 200, 300,000 followers. Now, when I started following her, she was in the like tens of thousands ish. And she has been really cool about documenting her journey. She has this sponsorship guide that talks about how she did pricing. So if it's more of like an individual basis, I think that's a great asset. We also offer coaching in the Scrappy to Savvy program that I have around it. The reason I don't have like a one-stop shop solution is because it's super specific to who you are, who you're targeting, and what the audience is. What I would say, if you're trying to tackle this yourself and aren't ready for a resource and just like, I just want to sling some stuff and figure this out, pick a price and talk to your inner circle about it first and say, hey, would you pay this for this? If you if you found value in this and ask around, because you can price something from $125 all the way up to $20,000, but it depends on the value you're bringing in the potential ROI of what they're actually going to get out of it. So early on, I would say go lower, but don't price yourself out of the market. Make sure just like anytime you're pricing a consulting service, anytime you're pricing a software, you you actually understand your costs and then understand the value early on in your sponsorship of the value of actually going low for your first couple sponsors to use them as testimonials, to use them as example for future sponsors. So it's better to price a little lower in the beginning, get some big wins for those sponsors, where then they become your assets of saying, hey, we did sponsorship. Here's some people that loved it. Oh, great. Now we charge, you know, we charge. 250 bucks for those ones. But now we've realized the value. We've actually proven our sponsorship model. We've created some ROI. Now it's 12, you know, 1250 or, you know, a little bit 1500 per sponsorship, because we know that you're going to get X amount of engagement out of it. So those are a few ways to look at it when it's thinking about what it actually costs you, what actual value it's going to create. And then how, at the end of the day, you are going to measure that out with how do I sell future? Like what's the value in creating relationships that allow you to sell more sponsorships in the future? And it makes a lot of sense just given the fact that similarly to selling your product directly to your end customer, it's not like every product is going to be priced the exact same thing. It's, it's depending mm-hmm. on what is your product, who is your audience, like what's the value they're getting out of it. Right. So it's, it, it, I think pricing is always an interesting thing to figure out for anyone at any point. But to your point, it's not that it's it's like this input plus that input equals this output. It's taking into account a multitude of factors and and matching that against your offering and the audience and what they're willing to pay and the value, et cetera. And you're selling a created and curated value. So it's tricky because it's something that is always going to be a little bit amorphous in the sense that it's always changing. It's always moving. So understanding that you get to make those decisions at the end of the day. And if someone doesn't like it and you want to make a deal, make a deal. If someone does like it and it's working out and it's working out to the point where they're buying them all up, maybe raise your prices. So kind of playing around with that because it's, it's going to change and it's going to morph and it's going to move. And it's, 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 fun if you pay attention to it in that way. The other piece to kind of think about in that spectrum is 
how you then package the timing around your sponsorships because sponsorships can be one-off or they can be an annual engagement. So I say this now because that, that impacts how you create pricing. Is it for a conference, for an event, for a podcast, and a podcast can fall on both sides of the fence where it's this one episode and it airs this day and you sponsor that or in the one event and it's happening and this is the exact audience or you're a sponsor of my content for the entire year. So for the Startup Pipe Man podcast, you know, you could have a sponsor that's then sponsoring the entire season mm-hmm. and then you can offer first right of refusal on the next season. So it gives a way to kind of engage in that or you offer it to three sponsors, but they're not, they're industry exclusive. So all of those things end up creating different layers of value that can impact your pricing. If it's industry exclusive, if it's an annual relationship versus if it's the singular relationship, or if you're having this banger event and we know there's going to be a huge splash around it, well, then how are you pricing that out? So like for Tech Week, we did um, sponsorship around the single conference in Chicago. But then when we added New York, LA, Miami, Detroit, now people had the opportunity to sponsor the entire year in all cities. And then we added a layer that upped our level of monetary investment, but also upped their exposure to a national level. And then when you buy in, if it's for a single event or something like that, it's about the timing and the the length of exposure and all of those other pieces. So I know I threw a lot out there, but wanted to make sure that we understand there's those two ways that they can be unpacked too, when it applies to like timing and the, the event or element itself. Well, as it so happens, you mentioned Startup Hype Man and having a the podcast and having a sponsor. So as it so happens, we do in fact have a sponsor hey! for this show. <laughs> uh, and you know the way we structure it is they're a sponsor for the season. And as part of the value, I say, hey, look, we actually, you know, there's there is podcasting software that is able to insert your sponsorship for the duration that you're paying. And if you stop paying us, it actually can pull it out of that, the episode for future, like future, mm-hmm. future later on in the feed. Yeah. So I let, you know, people who are interested know, like, like, Hey, we don't set that up. I was like, you're going to pay for a season, but it's going to live forever green. As long as this feed stays live, that read is going to stay where mm-hmm. it is, which is a perfect transition point. So let me tell everyone about our sponsor for this season, which is a company named Mikido. So check it out. Creating an app is easy, but guess what? Making users stick to that app is not so easy. If you didn't know about four and five apps launched in app stores, get deleted after a single use. I mean, I know I look at my phone and there are so many apps that I downloaded for a specific purpose. And now they are back in the cloud and probably will never get that double tap again to re-download to my phone. You know, it's harsh, but it's true. So how do you thrive without profound app development and UX experience? Luckily, you're not doomed to failure, not at all, because there is a team that can help you out in validating your concept, designing it, developing it, and ultimately launching your app, and then beyond launching, scaling the usability of it. And that team is Mikito the experienced experts that have built over 150 successful products for both startups and enterprises. So what that means is they have the scrappiness, to use Michael's word from before, they have the scrappiness to build for a startup and the agility to build for a startup, but they've also worked with a lot of enterprise companies. So they've got the experience to know what does it take to scale the product over time. Yours could be next in a line of a bunch of successful products. In fact, over 150 successful products. So 
All you got to do is join forces with Mikito, and you can get started and learn more at Mikito.com slash hype man. That's M-I-Q-U-I-D-O dot com slash hype man. Mikito.com slash hype man. And today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are with Michael Donnelly, founder of the Forward Collective, talking about driving revenue and awareness with sponsorship. So again, how appropriate that we just uh, took a break there to talk about this podcast sponsor. Uh, Michael, I guess my my, my question would be, how did I do? (laughs) You did incredible. Um, I think one of the most interesting aspects of what just happened, besides that it's very... uh, kismet to be talking about sponsorships and then I uh, give a shout out to your sponsor is that was a great showcase of integrated sponsorship or in real time sponsor engagement rather than your typical commercial. So when we talk about the variety of types of sponsorship and what actually engages different audiences, um, you're doing it this way on this podcast. Tim Ferriss does it that way on his podcast. A lot of others, you'll actually just hear like a commercial, like, and now I think like NPR is like, no, a word from our sponsors and it'll be a proper commercial. Um, there's a ton of research around what works best, but I think ultimately, you know, your audience and the more natural the the sponsorship fits the more natural the sponsorship flows the more it engages your audience that for the same reasons that they come to you already so this sponsor of yours makes sense because your audience is in a space where you're developing products you're developing software solutions so you're now letting them know about a solution that is aligned and you're a trusted resource so you as the person who's selling the sponsorship are a trusted resource and now you're recommending something and you're recommending something, hopefully, that you found value in and not just getting a paycheck for. I think that's where people also have some wariness around sponsorship is we had a phase, especially like the 90s and early 2000s, where people were just taking sponsor dollars and be like, oh, yeah, I love this product. I lost all my hair. And I'd be <laughs> like, oh, oh, dude, you never lost your hair. You never used this product. So we have this like innate like little bit, especially, you know, the, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 generation of like, Hey, are you just trying to sell me something? Mm -hmm. And we've kind of come full circle where a lot of influencers are very much like, I don't sell anything unless I've used it. I don't, you know, recommend anything. So I think all of those are important as you're evaluating your sponsorship potential is what types of sponsors do you take? What type of um, sponsors do you think will engage well with your audience and then building your target lists around those principles. So you're not just then slinging stuff as we talk about slinging um, out into the universe because it's not going to convert. And then you're going to end up both of you not really excited about the the kind of end result there. So integrated sponsorship, like you just did with a, a topic or a product or service that actually is going to be useful to your audience it's not that hard to find because you understand your audience or you understand your product or you understand your content. You understand whatever your asset is that you're selling. You'll hear me kind of divert to audience because that's most of my experiences around audience, but it can be applied to whatever that asset is. So you talked about that as a form of an integrated sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Are there other like categories of sponsorship and how would you, like what would be the name for that and how would you define it? Yeah. So um, that's a great question. I don't know if any resource has it outlined in a specific naming. There's a couple of books. I guess as you think about it at the very least. Yeah. The way I think about it is more of um, a commercial, right? Like your typical commercial or ad or an integrated sponsorship where it's part of the content that's already being created or part of what you're already doing. Um, And then there's the collaborative, which is in conjunction with what you're doing, but it's kind of a, an, an outlier. So it would be where you would 
have maybe your sponsors now on the podcast. So they're not only creation. Yeah. So they're not only sponsoring it, but they're, they're then adding value to the information because their insights actually are important to the audience and they're not just selling something to the audience or hoping to engage in that way. Um, and that's where like a sponsored keynote at a conference would be, would be another example of that. So that would be like a co-creation or if you're creating a white paper with a sponsor where you write the paper together and then put it out to both of your audiences, but they paid you to be the kind of vehicle to do that, mm-hmm. that, that original engagement. Um, I think those are the main ones. So it's kind of that commercial or that typical ad or that um, billboard, like you'll see at sporting events. Those are, you know, what we're used to. And then it's that integrated where it becomes more natural flow within whatever you're doing or that collaborative where you're co-creating something and building it together, but they're then paying for access to whatever the asset is that you have. So, and there are tons of examples of what I'm about to say, but I think there's still hesitation around it uh, in Mm -hmm. some cases. Um, you know, one, one way of sponsoring would be like sponsoring a newsletter, like, you know, Mm -hmm. company, you got a tech company, they got a newsletter and someone comes in and sponsors either that specific newsletter or a series of them or specific content within the newsletter. Mm -hmm. Great example I can think of is one of my favorite newsletters is called charter C H A R T R.co. Um, they will have, you know, it's a series of like data visualized around trends that are happening right now across all different aspects of the market. Yeah. And then they'll probably have like three to five stories per newsletter. One of those stories is sponsored content Mm -hmm. and it's still within the same style and flow for the most Mm -hmm. part, but it is sponsored content. And they're very clear about this being, you know, sponsored, but it Mm -hmm. it looks like it was still written as part of the main thing. Mm -hmm. Now, so that, that's a very clear example I just pointed out. I can point that out. And yet still, there are a lot of people who would hesitate to share the spotlight, if you will. Can you speak to that hesitation founders or company leaders may have around this idea of sharing the spotlight? So unpack what you mean by share the spotlight. Is it that they want to... They're wary about having a company have that the eyeballs within their space like that? Yeah. In the sense of maybe they don't, com- they're not competing services or products, but like, Hey, the, the goal of my newsletter is to get people to, uh, you know, to generate leads for my product. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. should I be sharing any of this to push people your way? It's just going to confuse them or it's just going to take away potential revenue from us. Yeah. So before we jump into that, I will answer that question. What this example um, reminded me of another format of sponsorship, which is advertorial. So it's that advertising, but ad- editorial, and it's more of the written content that you see, but it happens somewhat in that co-collaboration. So I think those categories can kind of move together, but I wanted to specifically highlight that phrase because you'll see that in your traditional magazines where it'll say like advertisement on top, but it'll appear more like an article in the magazine. Um, In this case, it's about what value. So coming back to that value, what value does this bring to your audience that you weren't already creating with your content that the sponsor is bringing in? What values do you have as a company that you've outlined prior to seeking sponsorship? I think a lot of times people get afraid about selling sponsorship because they think it's a free-for-all and anyone can then sponsor their stuff. And like, no, 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 we, we want to like be careful. No, you get to ask 
and you get to pitch and you get to say no. So <laughs> I'm sure you've talked about people that are pitching for investors on this podcast. I'm sure you've talked about people that are are selling things. Just because someone wants to buy it doesn't mean you have to sell it to them. Just because someone <laughs> wants to invest doesn't mean you have to sell it to them. So I think we get really caught up in the sponsorship, like, oh, well, I don't want that kind of company sponsoring my stuff. Well, then you say no when they ask to sponsor. It's really, that comes back to the scrappy to savvy kind of methodology too, of like, when you don't have a lot of money, it's how do you then make sure you create that line in the sand? If someone's offering you money to sponsor your thing, but you're like, wait, this doesn't align with our values. Well, that won't help you grow. And that money isn't worth the kind of stagnation that it'll create in growing your company or growing your audience. So that's not good money to take. But alternatively, you then, rather than hitting the the ground running and just like, all right, we're selling sponsorship. Let's go. You take your time and actually write out what your values are as a company, what type of target companies you want, why each of those companies, I have a spreadsheet that I use for this. Why would this company sponsor me? What articles have they written lately? What have they tweeted about lately? What is the value that we offer that answers something that they're already talking about? And then then reaching out to them once you already know that. So when you're creating that opportunity to start selling, it's similar to any type of sales process of, I'm not just going to call a bunch of companies. We all know that that's one tactic and that works for you know larger scale companies that have the resources to just smile and dial. In a case like this, you want to create a curated list of value aligned companies that will then make sense for you as a company, your audience or your asset or their audience or their asset and how they're kind of buying into it in that way and do your research. I mean, if you're you're getting into a relationship with this person, this company as a sponsor, they always say like, you got to date before you get married, blah, 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 blah. With any type of sales engagement, with any type of monetary exchange or exchange of partnership collaboration, you should know enough about this group to want to align them with your brand. And then you shouldn't be worried about sharing the spotlight because it's providing additional value because you've done this research and you know why you reached out to this company and why this company then provides value value for your audience or why your asset provides value for their audience that they're then sponsoring in that way. All right. So let's, I got a couple more questions here and then we'll begin our wrap up. Um, Let's flip the script. If I am considering paying for sponsorship to something else, if I'm considering being the sponsor, what are some things I should be taking into consideration to say, is this worth my money or not? Mm -hmm. Um, First and foremost, similar just values alignment. So do the same research that you would do if you're selling sponsorship, if you're buying sponsorship, what type of companies would I like to align my brand with? And then when you're thinking about how how you're buying, are you buying for affinity because you want the the company you want to be like the company, you want that company's audience to like you. Are you buying for acquisition? Are you buying to acquire customers? Am I sponsoring because I directly want to get customers this week that are in your target network? Or is it a combination of both? Everyone's going to say both very likely. But if you think about um, that like billboard sponsorship versus the integrated content sponsorship, right? Someone who's buying more of an integrated content in a smaller scale purchase is much more likely looking for an acquisition of a customer. They're looking to really engage with someone that you already have in your target audience. Someone who's buying um, more like your commercial style or your kind of high level billboard style sponsorship, they're more looking to just be associated with your brand. So 
I always recommend trying to think about how do you do like a combination of both, but understanding what your personal motivation is at the end of the day. If I'm buying sponsorship, is it just because I need eyeballs on my brand and I want people to start recognizing my company name and understanding who I am versus am I specifically targeting conversion for one type of product or service or overall longer-term conversion rates. And I want to be associated with this brand and their audience. And I want their audience to be converting to what I'm selling. And I think what's important is what that makes me think about as well is like, so, uh, you know, I do a lot of partnership based work, Mm -hmm. um, which is similar. It's not necessarily a transaction of dollars, but it's a lot of these things do come yeah, up. Yeah. In kind or mutually right. beneficial relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that we do is a lot of partner workshops, right? So mm-hmm. I'll have uh, a company come on and do a workshop on their expertise to my audience or to our audience rather. And then similarly, I'll go and do a workshop, a pitch workshop for their audience. Mm-hmm. Now I had to take a good hard look at like, well, what is valuable, right? Or what generates value on our side? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to go to someone else's audience and, you know, common logic would say, well, value equals number of people you're getting in front of. That's not, not necessarily true, right? Like did a partner workshop two weeks ago, 12 people attended, but four of those converted into uh, follow-up sales meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty good hit rate, right? 33%. Hell yeah. Um, Conversely, in the past, I have done something in front of 150 people and none of them converted or, you know, like one of them converted. So it's not, it's, it's always more so like, is it a targeted audience? But then on top of that, what's important is being able to have the registrant list coming out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a lot of times we'll partner with incubators and accelerators. Mm -hmm. um, But I have, I I started turning down those who were not willing to provide Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the registrant list coming out of that. Mm -hmm. Because I know our success on that depends on our ability to be able to follow up with those people. Because mm-hmm. I looked at our metrics and I was like, you know what? The highest number of meetings get booked after the second or third follow-up email. It's yeah. not enough to just do a great workshop and assume people will know to reach out because they get busy the second that thing ends mm-hmm. and then they forget. They're probably already busy and they took time out of their day. Exactly. <laughs> so they're like, wait a sec, I got to catch up now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the thing I said, I was like, okay, well, you know, we turn it down if there's no um, if there's no ability to follow up because I'm mm-hmm. like otherwise I'm like you know you're getting my expertise for free you're getting my yeah. time for free and then you're also essentially in a way I'm like well now you're just stealing from me right so mm-hmm. I, I said I was like you know what our data or our, our currency is data in lieu of compensation or of, of actual cash mm-hmm. compensation and I think similarly in a sponsorship setting right. You know, I used to think like, oh, why would so-and-so waste all this money sponsoring this conference? And then it's like, well, what they're doing is they're having a visual presence there. Some, mm-hmm. maybe something more than that. But what they're getting is the access to the attendees after the event. Mm-hmm. And that's probably where, you know, a lot of times if one of those attendees becomes a customer, it likely returns the entire amount and more mm-hmm. that they paid on the sponsorship itself. So I think... To, to add to, I say that to say, to add to what you shared, like it's not necessarily what is the value of the moment in time when the thing is happening. It's do you have the ability to generate long-term value out of it? And um, pre-value too. So like the moment in time is, is, is not as finite. If you extend the promotion ahead of time, the access to information ahead of time, access to information afterwards, 
Um, we're very, very particular about how we share email addresses in our list. So you'll you'll get to know in your case, that's what you found value on. So that's a line in the sand for mm-hmm. you. And that's okay. And it's good to know that. But I, I want to be cautious of people leaving this thinking that's what they should always ask for or always expect. And that's the only thing that's valuable. The way that we phrase it is you get access, like we put your information in our follow-up email, and then we can package a couple additional follow-up emails through us. And then people can opt in. Mm-hmm. to then follow you specifically. Um, we have done where we've shared the list with certain sponsorships as well of all of the attendees and from a GDPR perspective, so the email opt-in kind of laws and regulations, you can do it in that way. Um, sponsorship in one way is kind of a glorified way of buying a list and then you're getting access to these contacts and this information. It can be seen that way. Um, it's about how do you really find what is the most valuable piece for you? You've figured it out. It's the emails to the attendees after the conference. So in that case, that's the exchange of value. And that's what you would ultimately even pay money to present at a conference for if you were needing some of those lists. Mm-hmm. In this case, if you're not charging your on speaker honorarium, that's the value exchange for you. In other people's cases, it may be just those eyeballs. And if the company says, hey, we don't share the list, well, then how can we get creative so that we can still get those follow-up? Can we, as I was saying, can we email your audience through you and we just do a couple sponsored emails specifically after that? Mm. So I think it's important to really understand what is the most valuable thing that you're looking for after the conference and then working with the, or after the conference or the sponsorable element, and then working with your your partner, because it's ultimately a partnership to ask for those things or add those kind of pieces to the sponsorship package itself, because maybe it's not just an email after, but you want to do a couple social media posts. You want to do a couple um, follow-up videos that you can then put in your emails and say, Hey, I just spoke at this conference. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're earlier on in your career and you're saying, I don't have a lot of videos of me speaking. I don't have a lot of access. It's different now with the fact that we've all been home for two years. So everyone can do stuff on zoom <laughs> but for a while. It was, you know, speakers would say, Hey, I'm open to speaking to your audience in exchange for getting a video after and then they would own that video. We would let allow them to own that content and chop it up and do whatever they want with it. So that's kind of a, a different ways of that exchange marketplace. But when it comes to buying sponsorships, you want to look at the metrics as much as possible. So I know we talked about earlier on, like if you're selling sponsorships and don't have a big audience, but what are the numbers that are valuable to you? What do you think would be valuable to someone? So maybe you, do, you only have a 500 person email list, but you have a 50% open rate. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's great. Right. What's your click-through rate? Maybe you have a 14,000 thousand person email list, but you only have a 20%, but your click-through rate of that 20% is really high. So it's it's making sure you measure all of the data within your audience as much as possible and continue to grow that or whatever your asset is that you're selling a sponsorship. So you know the data, you don't have a great audience, but you know that this content converts. So say I've created these videos and everyone who's watched these videos has been like, hey, this is incredible, or this information is you know scholarly worthy. Okay, cool. Well, how do I sell that as my asset? asset. Well, this is the review, the testimonial around the people who've watched this. So maybe I don't have 500,000 views. Maybe I don't even have 500 views on this piece of content, but the 35 people who've watched it have done this action after. So then how am I asking for those testimonials? How am I capturing that that element of value so that when I'm trying to sell somebody around it, they're going to say, oh, cool. That's actually super valuable. Thank you for letting me know that information. Mm-hmm. Um One other thing, because I know we're getting close to wrapping up, is in sponsor relationships, how do you maintain the relationship and create kind of 
um, longer term partnership is how you do reporting. So the same way that you're trying to give them the data ahead of time, you need to make sure that you're capturing the data afterward and being honest if something didn't work out and figuring out how you're going to apply their money towards something else. Because the worst thing to do is have an email that flopped and then be like, oh, well, sorry, it just didn't work out. And that's the hard part about sponsorship is you're making it up. You're selling air. You don't know exactly what people are going to do. You're basing it on trends. Mm -hmm. So if it didn't work, how can you then apply or add value in different ways. For example, Forward, my company has a magazine. We said we were going to produce it quarterly. Holy shit, we weren't able to do that. That was a lot of work. So what we did was people who were sponsoring some of those elements, we had a conference. We, we then added them to the sponsorship realm of the conference to give them that exposed value in yeah. different ways. So always figure out you know, if you can't do something the way that you had originally intended, how can you create that value in other ways? And Tell them, we have a list. You bought all these things. Here are the things that are in progress. Here are the things that are done. Here are the links to those things. Here are the, how they performed as much as possible. You're not always going to be able to have all of the numbers, but the more you can provide and create that, that dialogue between the two people and prior to their sponsorship ending a month or two, hey, it's coming up to a close, whether it's an annual sponsorship or the events finishing up. Here's our next thing. Would you like to buy it? When things are going well, when things are in the thick of it, that's when you want to talk to them about renewing, not after it's ended, similar with any type of sale. But it's it's funny because we get so stuck in like deliver, deliver, deliver. But as you're delivering, you need to re-engage. Otherwise, out of sight, out of mind, it's just not happening right there for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to... Um, sponsorship can be really heavy and a lot of work, but the more you set up these kind of formatted processes or workflows, it's like, okay, here's the reporting. It goes quarterly. Here's how it happens. The more confident people feel in what they're buying and your ability to deliver, whether you had to pivot or switch or kind of move things around to make sure you're still engaging in those ways with them. With that, let's begin our wrap up. First off, Michael, where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more about the work you're doing with Forward? Yeah. So forward is www.fwdcollective.io um, web on social media at fwdcollective.io. Um, scrappy to Savvy is scrappy to savvy.com. That's two P's and two V's. Um, if you're looking for our, our I do the sponsorship course we talked about. Um, otherwise, you can hit me up at Michael underscore she underscore her across social media. And yeah, that's that's kind of the main spiel of where, where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Michael, who is one person who you want to shout out today? Um, that's a great question. Audrey Boyle. Audrey Boyle is a good friend, member of the Forward community. You've met Audrey. She's emceed mm -hmm. some of our events. She's been in the trenches with Forward from the beginning. She is. Um, she just started a new element of her business where she's helping people capture their flow and engage with how they share on social media, specifically LinkedIn. And she's a professor and just someone who's who's brilliant around social media, all these things. And I'm just grateful to have her in my corner and Forward's corner and part of all the magic we're creating. We'll now do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the audience based on today's discussion. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Today's topic was driving revenue and awareness through sponsorships. I think the main takeaway I've got from today is understanding value is flexible based on goals, audience, and type of sponsorship. It's not just 
Like, like you're not out of the game if you don't have a million followers or a million people, you know, subscribe to what you do. Value is flexible uh, based on those factors. Michael, top one or two lessons or takeaways. I think it's really determining what your values are because everything as a company or organization will align with that when you start to sell. Identify what your asset is, whether that's your audience or an element that you have created as part of your company that is the quality thing that people will purchase. When you're going for targets, really do your research and then have some fun. I mean, when we talk about from the beginning, diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging, being heavy, sales and sponsorship, all the things that we're doing, hustle culture, all this stuff, it, it can be really heavy. I, I think it's, to me, those align so well because I, I work in both of those realms of how we're, we're engaging. But we always say business gets done when people have fun. So when you're building these sponsor relationships, remember that you're building relationships. So get to know the people, share the value of what you're creating. The more fun that you have along the way, the longer term things will last. And if it's not uh, hell yes right now, it could be down the line or they might have someone else in their network. So always have that kind of caveat. Oh, well, if this isn't a fit for you, is there someone else I should be talking to? Or what feedback do you have for me? Like, why doesn't this work right now? It's a, it's coming from a place of that curiosity. So if we wanted to bookend this whole thing, if you ask me how I view people and, and I think in any engagement that you have, whether it's selling sponsorships, whether it's learning about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging, whether it's sharing your story and speaking and selling, it's leading with curiosity and how do we anchor that whatever our end goal is into how do we then continue to build a relationship on that? My final question which is how we end every episode of this show. Fill in the blank, Michael. Entrepreneurship is blank. An experience you get to create. Why that? Because experience design is where I hang my hat right now. And the core of entrepreneurship is you creating your own career experience and then creating value along the way where people give you money for your crazy ideas. So it's a path that you get to build your career and uh, you get to understand that when it comes down to how you're interacting with how you make money, you get to choose. And that's an experience that you create that is now making money, hopefully. <laughs> Entrepreneurship is an experience you get to create. She is Michael Donnelly with Forward Collective. Michael, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Happy to be here. Glad to have had this chance to chat with you and have some fun. And listeners, remember, stay in touch with everything we're doing at Startup Hype Man. Subscribe to our point of view letter at startuphypeman.com because coming soon later in 2022 is the official Startup Mixtape. And you will find out about that first through our point of view letter by subscribing at startuphypeman.com. That's right. I'm making an album, a hip hop album about the founder journey, about the startup journey. Startup mixtape coming soon. Woo! And I can vouch for the quality because you debuted one of your Startup Hype Man songs. This is true. Forward when this you were MCing. <laughs> so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to any of Raj's music, jump on it. And I cannot wait for this to, for this to launch this record. <laughs> That's a wrap on this one. Shout out to our guests once again for sharing their story with us. If what you heard impacted you, do one of three things. One, let our guests know. Reach out to them directly. They love hearing from you. 
two, leave a rating and review on Apple. Or three, simply hit the share button and share this episode with one friend who you think would benefit from hearing it. Catch our full episode archive at StartupHypeMan.com slash podcast. And if you want to make your pitch not suck, reach out to us through the website. That's all for this week. We'll catch you next time. Raj Nation out. Believe the hype.